Welcome to the Coast and Podcast, bringing you timely insights and strategies to succeed in the ever-evolving world of school system technology. On each episode, you'll hear from certified education technology leaders, visionary district change makers, and instructional experts who will discuss the technology topics making a difference in schools today. And now, enjoy today's show. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Coast and Podcast. We're excited to launch a new season of the podcast with a lot of important topics upcoming. This episode is the first of a two-part series on EdTech data and how it's informing decisions for education leaders uh, across the country. This mini-series is supported by Learn Platform, which enables schools and districts to organize, streamline, and analyze their education technology to be effective for all students. And with that, I'm really excited to welcome in today's guest. We have Dr. Carol Kelly, Superintendent of Oak Park Elementary School District 97 in Illinois, and Michael Ahrensdorf, who is the district's Senior Director of Technology. And with our theme, we're going to be talking about data to address digital equity. So welcome, Dr. Kelly. Welcome, Michael, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank Um, you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, perfect. And so with that, I think let's uh, get right into it. And uh, we have some topics here that, that are certainly going to be relevant to you know leaders and tech leaders nationwide. And the first one, you know, Michael, to you, what what is the data in your district? And this can be quantitative or qualitative data, just really whatever you're using as inputs. But what are you looking at regularly to inform your equity initiatives and specifically you know, as they relate to ed tech? Yeah, that's a good question. So first I'll look at the kind of quantitative data. So on a typical year, uh, we're looking at NWA map. So that ongoing assessment that we take. So we'll do that three times a year, second grade through eighth grade, and then in in the K2 classes as well. So second grade will overlap with some other types of assessments like that, that we'll use. So we'll pull that type of data as well as some of the usage data and we're leveraging and using the learn platform and their impact analysis. So we'll pull in that usage data from the different ed tech tools. And we started out um, with just a few tools a couple of years ago that have built to a number of about 10 tools right now to start pulling that usage data, as well as then three times a year, we pull in that map data or that other, other type of data we use for second grade, whether it was um, some Ames web or some of our just regular assessments. And we've changed that a little bit this year during COVID. But though we've used Dibbles, fast testing, again, to be able to run that, have the academic data and align that with our usage data using that impact analysis to be able to start telling us what does, not only how much are our students using these ed tech tools, but also based on that usage, what is the success um, that our students are having on these assessments and predicting the growth and success that they're having in the classroom. Found some pretty interesting things throughout that information as well, being able to see exactly like how often are they using a tool and what is that predictor? How much success are they having based on that usage that they're having, whether it's weekly, monthly, however that might be. So that's some of the quantitative stuff. And again, we're looking at the tools, those ed tech tools that are used and in, in really supporting our instructional practices within whether it's ELA or, or math or any other curriculum areas that we may have. And then for qualitative, a number of times that we're reaching out to our stakeholders, gathering feedback, on, on what they're doing and their experiences that they're having. Because again, most of those tools are not agnostic of like, here's this math tool for just this, or here's this one for just ELA. 
they are tools that they're, uh, whether it's an LMS or, or just organizational executive functioning, but how are these, these tools supporting their learning and where they want to go and collaborate and communicate with one another. So it is a variety of Google tools as well, uh, but just giving the overall experiences from our students, staff, and families. One tool we've used this last year is Thought Exchange. So we've done that a few different times, but in particular, we did one during COVID, like what is the experiences that you as a student or a family have been having with this experience, whether it's remote or hybrid or, or on-site, whatever that might be, uh, and gathering that. Um, and then specifically for instructional technology, we asked our families as we were preparing for our upcoming tech plan, and, and we do that every three years. So we did an exchange around what is your experience with instructional technology currently? What's working? what um, could be improved and then where do we look at for the future that we may want to explore other opportunities and then we, we, as we've used that type of data we've brought that data back to our we have a iLearn advisory team so that iLearn advisory is is really focused on the instruction but obviously how does technology support that type of work and that that team is comprised of staff some of our parents and community members uh, but most importantly, we have students at the table and they are in every one of those conversations and every one of those meetings. And our, our focus is around them and how can we enhance the learning environment around the technology use to support their learning and what's best for their success and growth and, and continue to get that feedback to, to kind of move forward. So those are a couple of different things that we've done qualitatively and quantitatively in our district. And, and one of the things you referenced that's so important is having simultaneously having that usage data alongside the efficacy data and understanding the ways in which those two uh, interact. And that is very similar to the way the quantitative and qualitative can interact. Because I imagine, you know, when you have those advisory groups, that's a great point to get the qualitative data that kind of can help to explain, make meaning of, or reinforce what you're seeing in the quantitative data. Okay this tool that we thought was going to be super effective either isn't getting a lot of use or it's not working the way we wanted. Why is that? You know, those, those understanding of when you have that really deep well of that quantitative data that lets you get down to that level, then you can say, okay, who is this affecting and what can I learn from them? I'm wondering you know, to both of you and perhaps starting with you, Dr. Kelly, with the, the conversation, obviously you've been doing this work for a long time, but the past 12 months have been very different. Right? Mm -hmm. And how have some of these conversations shifted, particularly thinking about equity over that time? You know, we just talked about the usage, the connection and engagement obviously has been a huge factor over this remote learning period and mm -hmm. other districts that have been doing hybrid learning to say, okay, now, connectivity looks a lot different, but in, you know, in any aspects, if you've been looking at your initiatives, how have those conversations been changing and, and how might they still be changing? And that's another really great question. And Michael provided a lot of insight. I, I will say though, and I will get to your question, but I just want to back up a little bit pre-pandemic. Sure. Our district approved a vision statement back in July of 2016. So as a school district, our vision is creating positive learning environments for all of our students that is equitable, inclusive, and focused on the whole child. And we literally began in August of 2016 as a board and leadership team to engage with our staff and our community around what is equity? You know, how do we define that? And we use the, the probably the entire school year 
to develop a common understanding, uh, a common definition for equity, for inclusive, for positive learning environment and, and the whole child focus. And using those definitions helped us as a district develop these four universal, uh, almost aspirational goals. And our aspirational goal around equity is that we want each and every one of our students to be persistent and confident achievers. And when we think of achieving, we, we think of words like thriving and flourishing, not just academically, but also from a social emotional standpoint as well. So that pre-work for us really helped each of our department leaders, and Michael is one of those leaders of our technology department, really think about like what they could do in their departments in support of our schools that would help us with, with equity. Now, let's go to uh, the pandemic, you know, the last 13 months or so. I would say that, you know, the work has always been around creating the supporting conditions that are helping our schools and our school leaders design learning experiences for our students where all of our students are thriving, all of our students are, are flourishing. But we have seen, and I, and I use this quote by Sonia Renee Taylor, and basically in the quote, she talks about our not going back to normal, you know, pre-pandemic. Uh, and she goes on by saying like, because normal never was. And this for all of us is an opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity. So whenever I talk to our senior leadership team or even the staff, the question that I raise is how can we not go back to normal? Like what are the things that we were forced to do because of the pandemic that really we learned it's working out well in terms of equity for us. What do we wanna keep doing? And then what are those practices that we had pre-pandemic that we learned like we couldn't do it and it's okay, we could let those things go. And then what are things that we want to start doing? So from the teaching and learning perspective, some of the things that I've seen that looks differently, as Michael was saying in terms of the data pieces that we're looking at, we are using different forms of assessment because we have some students even today that are receiving their instruction totally remotely. Um, we have some students that are back in, in person and brick and mortar, but we wanted to be able to allow our teachers to see and to assess how students were doing in comparison to their grade level standards. So there are some formative assessments that we're using this year that are different. Uh, they're all like online. So that's different for us. We introduced this year an anti-racism curriculum, you know, to affirm and to support our students to explore their culture, their racial, their academic identities. From the school-wide structures and uh, systems, I think like we really have emphasized the support of our teacher leaders of our teacher teams, because the collective efficacy has always been a real high priority for us, but definitely the need to have all hands on deck to ensure that we know, like if there are any students that have unfinished learning, uh, that the time that teachers come together, that they have the support and the tools that they need 
to be able to make that time meaningful where they're talking about student learning data and how to support the team. And the last thing that I would say that looks different for us is probably the intentional support that our culture and climate coaches are providing to our students around social emotional uh, needs and also creating that space for our staff as well. Do you know which EdTech resources are working best for your students and teachers? Are your digital learning tools safe and equitable? What is the ROI on your district EdTech investments? Learn Platform is the EdTech effectiveness system districts, states, and their partners use to answer these questions. From safety to equity, cost efficiency, and effectiveness, Learn Platform gives teachers and leaders the evidence and tools they need to make better EdTech decisions for all students. Visit learnplatform.com to get started. A couple of things that you mentioned that are so powerful and we've seen play out in a lot of different ways is many of these plans that you put in place before the pandemic, before we knew there was going to be a pandemic. And I've spoken to districts who have done similar things, whether it's through their ed tech management and their data analysis, or they had tools for curriculum mapping or other you know, versatile instructional technology tools, tools that are device agnostic so students can access them or things that they didn't know at the time that they were planning for this, right? But yes, ended up yes, being saying, if we just started now, we would have oh my really gosh. had a hard time yeah. doing this. Yeah. But we're we we're really prepared. And what that makes me you know, think of as well is even despite all of that pre-planning, there's new things that come up. And new things that come up, new things that you learn, new things that you learn about yourself. Um, and also new uh, realization that some of the practices that you had in place you really don't like, you can like let those things go. So, yeah. Is there anything that either of you have put in place, especially thinking about it from the equity perspective, mm -hmm. challenges that were amplified or you know exacerbated during this period that we all know of, new strategies you put in place mm -hmm. that you found, you know what, we're keeping this because this works and it works period, whether we're hybrid, mm -hmm. remote, or in person. I think one of the things in terms of that community engagement and communications is I definitely have seen certain meetings that there is a lot more engagement because we're doing things in ways where people can access it from wherever they are. They don't have to come to like a physical location. For example, our board meetings, and Michael helps to create that virtual space for our board meetings. I would say we averaged uh, when we were in person for those meetings beyond our team, uh, maybe a reporter or two, and there may be like one or two people that were in the public. Now, Michael, what would you say? I, I think you see like hundreds of people um, that are, you know, uh, attending these meetings now, because again, you can access it from wherever you are. The meetings are recorded. So like, even if you don't make it in that virtual space on the evening of the board meeting, you can go and like watch it afterwards. So I, I definitely see a lot more engagement. We use, as Michael said, like certain tools like thought exchange. We've been using Let's Talk. I think our communications director was saying that we've seen almost a 400% increase in people who are engaging with that tool. So I, I definitely feel that there have been in this really horrific time for all of us, there have been some bright spots in terms of 
we really probably don't want to go back to in, only in-person board meetings, or we really probably don't want to go back to even um, our administrative meetings. We used to do those meetings where we all gathered in this spot and that travel time and, and things of that nature. Now people can hop on a, a meeting, a call. Uh, so there are certain practices and procedures that we had in place that we have just wondered, like, why were we not doing this all along? Yeah, great. And, and Michael, going deeper on the tech side and perhaps even, you know, I'm sure related to maybe some needs around professional learning related to the technology, is there anything new that you've been exploring on that end that you kind of see as a, a nice long-term practice as well? Yeah, and I, I would like, if we think back again to that time and Dr. Kelly, and you hit on certain things of foundational stuff that was in place. And we, we, we did have access to our, our devices for our students. One thing we added um, once COVID hit and we kind of closed down on March 13th last year, we did have some devices for our K2 students that we didn't have in place. So we were able to provide those because we did have some, some uh, devices available for them. So anybody that didn't have those, we were able to provide those to families. We have a program called Internet for All that uh, we have in place where we lend out hotspots. We've also partnered with Comcast. They do a in-home where we'll be able to kind of supp or supplement that internet access for families. So we already had those things in place. It was just, it did add on because obviously COVID changed certain circumstances for families. So our boards continue to support us and our community has supported us to mm -hmm. be able to provide these resources to our families and to all of our students. So that is that foundation to ensure that everybody had kind of that blanket of everything. But then it goes into the instructional practices and into that learning. And I think you kind of hit on that engagement, mentioned that a few times, like engaging kids in person when you're right in that space is a very, uh, there's obviously strategies and things that have to happen for that. But now you pivot that to a full remote and you don't have that ability to like just walk up to a, a student and, and engage them in a different way. It's So that type of practice had to obviously shift. And we put a lot of time and effort and have partnered with specifically one Meg Ormanson, who has done a lot of uh, professional learning and uh, work with our staff, again, kind of previous with our teacher librarians and some of our core teaching staff. But we created uh, some sessions, cohorts, so they could do it live through live through Zoom or whatever with her, but continuous professional learning opportunities to really break down what does instruction look like in a remote space and really focused on that engagement and, and empowering our students to be part of and active agents in their learning and directing where do they want to go, and what do they want to do, and how are they demonstrating that learning. So again, you know, we talked a lot about the ISTE standards, the four C's. We do a lot of work under UDL, so universal design for learning. And, and that's a lot of things that we're doing to really kind of make sure our students are part of that learning process. So that learning then was also live, but Meg worked and, and created a whole asynchronous on-demand session. So hours of learning for our staff that we dedicated, and we knew we wanted to provide that for our teachers throughout last summer to help prepare them for this upcoming year, the year that we're now in and have kind of gone through. Um, but they can access those materials still so they can continue to kind of reflect back and where do they change their practice and do that. So I think that engagement and 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 that relationship of with their kids, that those are some things of that practice. And it's not just standing up on the front talking for, not that we were always doing that, but like you talk for 20 minutes or 10 minutes, whatever that would be, they built in more breaks and more checkpoints and more ways to engage the kids actively 
in their own learning and that piece. So I think that was a, a big thing with the professional learning that we provided to our staff for this year. Yeah, and the interesting thing for our school district, because we started fully remote and we migrated into uh, being hybrid and we're about to migrate again to uh, fully in person, but it was really important to the community uh, and the staff that we not have classrooms reorganized in the middle of the year. So I think a lot of the work that Michael and his department have done is we had the foundation to provide the support where staff members are able to live stream instruction. So those students that are remote only can be in the same classroom, you know, with their classmates who wanted to come back in person. And Michael, I I don't think neither one of us ever imagined that staff would feel comfortable enough and confident enough if we asked them last March, you know, oh, can you like live stream? You know, so, but again, I think over time, what has happened is that we have really stretched our boundaries of what we think that we can do. And uh, we're, we are one of the really, really fortunate districts that there were a lot of foundational pieces that were in place that are allowing us to do that. So it's one of the reasons why I personally am a huge advocate and supporter platforms like iLearn, as well as advocating for districts and communities who don't have access to broadband and internet, or even like all of their students having the computing devices. I I definitely think that that when we look beyond our district in terms of equity, there are some just core basics that all students really deserve to have access to. Right. And and yeah, those are all really important aspects to be considering on an ongoing basis. And, you know, as we're kind of coming toward the end of the the conversation here, I think there's one other really important part that is part of that ongoing evaluation and reflection and, you know, continuation of these efforts is how do you use data? And again, you know, when we, when we talk data, certainly there's quantitative, but there's also other, other factors to measure the success of these digital uh, equity initiatives that you have and kind of monitor those continued efforts and, you know, and, and of course, you know, improve them as you go, as you see new needs come up or, or the areas where you're not yet at your goal. Uh, so for that, I, I'd kind of go back a little bit to the, the learn platform that we talked about and, and how we measure that usage. And one thing I didn't really hit on is as we're looking at that usage, we're breaking it down by our subgroups. So racially, socioeconomic, grade level, building wise to really hone in on, okay, here's how, here's how our students are using it based on all of those different subgroups that we may be able to cut the data in that way. Um, And here's what their academic data says. And when we merge those two together, we can really start to pick, okay, where are we using it? Is there more professional learning that we need to provide with certain grades, certain buildings? Is there, if we don't have certain usage, are we finding where we can cut back on our licensing and actually start saving certain district dollars and be more informed on what that is? Um, And you don't get that when you just get usage data directly from a vendor. I mean, it's great that we get a lot of support from them. Uh, but once you put it into that third party and start comparing it with some of that academic data, we just, it, I mean, it does start to make us ask more questions, but that's good that we're more informed and we can ask those questions of where do we need to go? 
And part of that is to measure that success. We, we have to make sure that we're in those conversations, not just me, not just Dr. Kelly, but like, where are we at with our special ed department, our teaching and learning, our building principles, informing and empowering them with this type of information. Um, and that that's a long process. We continue to, to work and get better with that. But that's that's a big piece of just making sure that we're empowering and giving people with that, that data to, to make those decisions. But we've got to have the tools to cut it and slice it because we're collecting data all the time. But if we can't give it to them in a way that's a dashboard or a way that they can easily digest and see what that says for us to then uh, make decisions based off of that. Yeah. And I I think to add on to what Michael was saying, one of the things for us in terms of our, like our um, framework on mindset as equity leaders is you really shift from the mindset of that traditional approach that you're trying to get to like a certain number and the approach, you know, as Michael was just describing that equity leadership framework is more of a circle leadership, like you're, you're constantly doing inquiry. Um, So you go from like the satellite data, the uh, usage information with the academic is giving you like more information. And then you continue to be curious and, and, and like use an inquiry approach to learn more. So the more like you see, you can ask questions and it's like you're, you're constantly in this cycle of almost doing like a, a, a gigantic uh, a science experiment so that you are, as you get the information, it's helping to inform like what your next steps are. And then you use that information to, to further refine like your actions. And if you see that something is working really well, you then like ask like, how can you scale that up? So it really, you know, the having access to uh, data and really not just drilling down on the satellite data, but being able to triangulate that information really helps you to uh, shift from a traditional approach to more of an equity increase stance or a circle uh, leadership approach by using that data. Right. Yeah. And one thing that's so clear in, in everything you're both sharing is, is really how important it is uh, to have that district approach to these initiatives to have that centralized data access where you know equity means all so it means everybody has to have access to the same data the same information the same decision making tools because we know that the reality is in in so many schools districts classrooms with this rapid unexpected shift to remote learning in particular teachers had to go out and find resources and tools on their own and some of them ended up working some didn't but Mm. there was no way to know until it happened (laughs) and and having that access to the data and efficacy on different tools, the ones you're already using and industry data on ones you're not using yet, but to really know what seems to work and what doesn't for students like yours gives you the ability to make those decisions at, a, at scale and really ensure the equity piece. And so it's clear that that the plan you've put in place is supporting that. And, uh, and, and it really is key, I think, to this whole conversation. So thank you so much, uh, Michael and Dr. Kelly, for sharing your invaluable insights with us today. Listeners, make sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast app to hear all of the upcoming episodes in this season of the COSIN podcast, including part two of this mini-series, which will address data trends from the current year and uh, what they tell us moving forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the COSIN podcast, produced in partnership with Mind Rocket Media Group. 
Visit mindrocketmediagroup.com to connect with our expert team and learn how you can support your education industry, communications, and marketing goals. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to each new episode on edcircuit.com or cosin.org.